Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. This is a joke I got from Janet Weiss, who's the drummer in the rock band's leader, Kenny. A man shows up for his psychiatrist appointment wearing only saran wrap. The psychiatrist says, I can clearly see you're nuts. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan, and this is the Dinner Party Download. Wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second, hold on. Where's my temp? American Public Media promised that I would have some help while my co-host Rico was away during his honeymoon. Hey, man. Sorry I'm late. Kai Rizdahl? You're my, you're my temp? You, you do fill-in work for extra cash? Look, four kids, <laughs> tough economy, car, house, the whole deal. Don't judge me. I thought so, you were living the dream, man. Yeah, well, in my other life. Anyway, so uh, this is my script, right? Y- yeah, let's, let's just take it from the top. All right. Okay, okay. go ahead. Three, two, one. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And I'm Rico Galliano. You know what? Is there a problem? Never mind. All right. Uh, This is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from senior writer for XXL Magazine and rap scholar Peter Relic. And coming up, director and author Paul Verhoeven, Duck a la molasses, Casey at the Bat, Three Strikes You're Drunk, a food critic on food stamps and the best song from the Best Coast. Hey, man, you're pretty good at this. Yeah, I've been doing this a while. (laughs) Look, it's your line. um, You know what? I, I, I think you should just take it from here. All right, if I gotta. First, it's time for Small Talk. Okay, everybody. Sorry to get your hopes up, but it turns out we can't afford to have Kai fill in for Rico for the whole show. His hourly rate is so high that uh, doing that intro bit blew our entire budget for 2011. So we're going to have to move a lot of commuter mugs or something. Besides, come on, he wasn't that good, right? I mean, nothing that I can't offer, right? Right? Okay, so the theme of this week's headlines was the return of old rivals. We have uh, the Lakers versus the Celtics in the NBA Finals. Those teams facing each other once again, as they've done in the 50s and 60s and 80s and early aughts. We have Israel versus Palestine. This week, Israeli soldiers killed nine people who attempted to breach a blockade, continuing that region's long tradition of everyone acting like a bunch of total jerks. And last but not least, Big Oil versus Nature. In the 80s, it was the Valdez. Now it is the Deep Horizon Well. And everywhere in between, it was all of us collectively. And I don't know about you guys, but when I look at that live cam thing, it makes me totally sick. And strangely, it kind of reminds me of those that Paris Hilton night cam sex tape. Creepy and blotchy and also went on to pollute America for a really long time. Um... Right now would be a good time for a pithy Rico comment, and that would signal me to make a bad pun transition, like, for some stories that rival the headlines, I turn to my colleagues at Marketplace. Betty Hirsch, senior editor for Marketplace, what's your story? Iceland. Oh, here we go again. You know, obviously they've been having problems with, you know, bank crises and volcanoes and stuff. <laughs> now they're trying to rehabilitate their tarnished public image with an email campaign, of all things. I- explain. So the manager of tourism uh, in Iceland asked Icelanders all around the world to email everybody that they knew a message of love about Iceland and what a great place it is. Wait, so let me get this straight. They're using spam to make themselves more popular? Way to go. <laughs> it's, it's ironic, I admit. Ethan Lindsay, producer of the Marketplace Morning Report. What's your story this weekend? Facebook and privacy. I mean, we're all talking about it. It's the same old story. Oh, yeah, except this time, 
uh, the CEO of Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He was speaking at a big uh, tech conference, and he says that Facebook's taking privacy and the privacy issues that are that are out there really seriously. Because even he, when he was young, he's done some stupid things that he doesn't want on the internet. When, when he was young, mm-hmm. how, how old is how old is Mark Zuckerberg? This guy's twenty six. <laughs> I guess you know every ten million dollars you have is like another four years of experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like dog years is millionaire years. <laughs> Adrian Hill, sustainability reporter for Marketplace. What's your story this weekend? This week I'm going to go with Dawn's soap. Why? Because Dawn is getting a lot of attention for cleaning off oil-covered seabirds. And I actually found this advertisement online that shows this cute little duckling covered in what looks like oil getting washed off. I called them up and I said, like, you didn't actually cover this cute little duckling in oil, did you? Yeah. No, molasses and finger paint oh. makes good television oil on See, duck. If you have molasses with five star spices and ginger, it could work. now you're talking. Yeah, you're there's talking. a dish. There's a dish. The finger paint you are going to want to leave out of the recipe. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history's Rico. But instead of abandoning his co-hosts and blissing out on the Mediterranean, he's sunbathing next to a sea of booze. Which, come to think of it, he probably is. First, the history. This week, back in 1888, the poem Casey at the Bat was published. This week, back in 2009, the Dinner Party Download ran this history segment. But don't get sad, I updated the cocktail. Now, most of the people at your dinner party will know that Casey at the Bat is one of America's most beloved literary works, but our friend Michelle Philippi will once again tell you about one guy who didn't really like it that much. That's right. He was the author. Ernest Thayer graduated Harvard in philosophy. His family owned profitable wool mills. So when he took his first gig out of school as a humor columnist at the San Francisco Examiner, he must have figured he wouldn't keep the job long. Sure enough, after a couple of years, he headed back east to the wool business. But before he split, he dashed off one last piece for the paper, a little poem about baseball. Like most of his stuff, he considered it, quote, nonsense. And like most of his stuff, he signed it under the pen name Finn. That would have been the last of it if the poem hadn't been republished in a New York paper. Vaudeville actor DeWolf Hopper got a copy and decided to perform it during his next big show, which made sense, because in the audience were players from the Chicago White Sox and the New York Giants. (laughs) But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. The audience went nuts for Casey, and so did the rest of the country. The poem got printed everywhere. Suddenly, imposters claimed they were the mysterious Finn. It was years before the public finally agreed Thayer was the real deal. But Thayer didn't really seem to care. He never accepted royalties for Casey at the Bat, and in 1935 he wrote, quote, It would be hard to say if it has given me more pleasure than annoyance. Meanwhile, the poem made DeWolf Hopper a star. He performed it at least 10,000 times. So that's the history. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Daniel Hyatt. He's the bar manager at Alembic in San Francisco, the city where Casey and the Bat was first published. And Daniel, you heard the history. What cocktail does that inspire you to make? Well, it actually inspired me to make three. Because <laughs> I'm an expert at striking out. Uh, <laughs> nice. So three strikes, you're out. I see the theme here. Three, yeah, three, three strikes and we're out. 
So we're going to build them all around nice woody uh, Elijah Craig bourbon. Okay, and so the wood is because, like, baseball bats? Absolutely. Okay, very good. And the first one we're going to start with, just kind of inspired by the baseball field, and it's going to be a version of a blood and sand cocktail, which Whoa. is a, a classic scotch cocktail. So the sand from the baseball diamond and the blood of just hard playing on the field. That's right, man, the, the, the gladiators. Wearing pajamas. And wearing pajamas, <laughs> exactly. We're going to do ours with a little bit of bourbon. Mm-hmm. We're going to use some maraschino liqueur, Okay. a little tawny port, and a little orange juice. And we're going to mix those equal parts. Uh-huh. This is, you know, this is a good easy one. It's the, it's the first pitch, so we're just going to, like, we're going to shake it up and pour it, see how it turns out. Good. The second pitch here we're going to do, um, we're going to put a little bit of pepper on it this time. <laughs> the same drink with pepper? No, 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 we're going to do a different drink. Oh, wait, that gonna, was baseball slang. That's what was baseball slang, but we're going we're gonna to put some pepper on it. We're going to put a little black peppercorn. Uh-huh. Muddle it. Uh-huh. Throw a little bit of bourbon, lemon juice, maple syrup. We're talking breakfast. We are talking breakfast. It's a day game. We're going to shake that one up and serve that neat. Okay. All right. And you ready for the third one? Oh, man, I'm ready. Okay, here we go, because this is our prayer to God. This is our last chance. <laughs> if, we, if we don't get it right this time, we're, we're screwed. We're like Casey. I know. So we're going to get the, go back to the bourbon. Uh-huh. We're going we're gonna to toss a little yellow chartreuse in there. Okay. It's made by the monks of the Grand Chartreuse Monastery. And then we're going to throw a little bit of lemon juice. And a shot of Tabasco. So these served together, you would call three... All together? (laughs) Three strikes, right? (laughs) You finish all three of those and you're out. I think if you drink all these, you're going to find joy in Mudville. uh, Let's (laughs) let's hope for that. Mudville can use it. Well, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty fitting that the anniversary of the publication of Casey at the Bat comes on a week where a pitcher is robbed of a perfect game at the last possible minute. Crazy. Baseball's like this dark, dark emo sport. If you think I've made any bad calls tonight, you can head to our website, dinnerpartydownload.com, and send me a note. Oh, smash. There goes my baseball Our guest of honor this week is Paul Verhoeven. He's known as a filmmaker of such hit movies as RoboCop, Starship Troopers. His newest project, though, comes a little out of left field for uh, some folk. It's called Jesus of Nazareth, and it is a book about the real life of Jesus. Paul Verhoeven, it's nice of you to join us. Uh, It's nice to be here. So my first question is probably the first question everybody asks of you. What the hell were you thinking? (laughs) Why? By this book, then, you you mean? Well, it came from my desire already for 25 years to make a movie about Jesus. It really started as a film project, and I wanted to do research about what in the Gospels I should believe and what not. What is mythology? What is, uh, let's say, spin? What is this? What's that? What are the words of Jesus that we can consider as authentic, that he probably said that? And what are the deeds of Jesus that he did? See, now this show is themed after a dinner party. And there are places in America where saying that everything Jesus said in the Gospels wasn't the gospel truth would end the dinner party and maybe get you killed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hopefully not the last thing, but I might not go to that dinner party if the people are like that, you know. I don't think that you'd get invited to that dinner party. But did any part of you say, like, why tread on these sort of literal sacred cows? Yeah, but that's so different in the United States than than in Holland, of course. Holland is so much a secular country. 
country. There was no problems. Do you, do you expect problems here? Certainly a certain antagonism, a certain irritation, because I heard when I did radio interviews and people would be calling in, and it was clear, like, well, your portrayal of Jesus is very interesting, but if he's not the son of God, why bother? Well, that is kind of a good question. Is, is your intention to sort of undercut that religion and say, like, hey, you believe in a falsehood? No, I would never say that. People can believe whatever they want. The importance of Jesus for me as a non-believer, as a non-Christian, is the ethics of Jesus. So I see Jesus as the Mozart or the Einstein of ethics. Would you say you like Jesus then? Yeah, sure. I'm a fan of Jesus, yeah. I think these ethics are very interesting. The behavior of certain human beings in the parables, as described by Jesus, are a new form of ethics. I mean, something completely innovative. And basically, we are still not there. Interesting. Um, Is that the right word? Interesting, yes. Okay. It's definitely the right word. Okay. We always ask two questions of everybody on this show. Uh, the first one is, what if we're seated next to you at a dinner party, what question would you least like to be asked? Of If I fear God. Why is that? Well, now you want to know why. Now that's why I don't want to answer the question. Because there is some part of me that is really, really not convinced that everything is as ra- rational as I think. On some level, you worry that you may burn in hell. I have had many dreams where it happened, yes. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't want to be made to think about that at a dinner party. All right, second question. Tell us something we don't know. Something I don't know or that you don't know? Something that you haven't talked about in an interview before, either about yourself or about the world at large that you think most people don't know. Basically, that if you look through the photographs of the Hubble telescope and you see what kind of destruction is happening in the universe, whole galaxies that are falling into each other, and the amount of destruction of life... That is, if that's God, then basically we are in for something really bad. This is the most bummer of a dinner party I've ever been to. Paul Verhoeven, thanks for talking to me. Okay, thank you. That was fun. Did you guys just hear that? Rico appeared from nowhere to interview Verhoeven. Radio magic. I have to say, when Paul Verhoeven's name first came up, Rico immediately thought of his films Robocop and Starship Troopers, and I immediately thought of his films Basic Instinct and Showgirls. Not sure what, if anything, that says about us. If you want to say something to us, go to our website and send us a note. It's dinnerpartydownload.com. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. And I have a special guest here with me because I hate doing leads without someone with glasses within five. I need someone with glasses within five feet of me at all times. That all is Steve Chiategas, the host of the Market Blaze Morning Report. Which means, Steve, you come in at what time to do your shift? Uh, usually between 1 and one thirty. And then you're here until? Way too late. Like it's like 9 a.m. Oh, right? yeah, or Sometimes later than 10. that. Of course. If it's outrageous. You know, maybe there are four meetings afterwards, sure. I always think about this when I see you guys when I come in the morning. Do you guys go drinking after? Is there like a happy hour in the morning? You know, I guess you could use the proverbial line, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, but <laughs> n- not in this case. I, I try not to drink before dark. So, <laughs> But you work at dark, so you're saying you drink before you go to work? Is no, that the... <laughs> I don't do that. Although some people may listen to me and think that I do that, but I don't, no. Well, look, see, this is our food segment where we do we talk 
talk about something happening in the world of food and food trends. I'm going to need you to help me here. I need you yeah. to stare and nod at me uh-huh. empathetically uh-huh. while I do the lead to my segment here. Oh, I could do so, this, yeah. so just like yeah. if Rico's here. Yeah. So as I said, for this thing, we do food trends. And unfortunately, this week's story is a food trend. It's about food stamps. Ed Murrieta is a journalist. He's been in the food industry his whole life. He started working at his parents' restaurants as a kid. He ended up being a food critic for the newspaper in Tacoma for years. He had like a $1,300 a month expense budget for food. Lost his job, wiped out his finances, and now he's unemployed and he's living on food stamps. And he wrote a pretty touching article about this. In Steve? Steve? This is unbelievable. <laughs> At least Rico pretends to be paying attention. <laughs> anyway, I met up with this guy who was not sleeping, and I asked him to tell me some of the things he's learned uh, since he's been on food stamps. First of all, I, I knew that with food stamps you can only buy food, and of course you can't buy alcohol. Mm-hmm. The um, And I know you can't buy dog food, you can't buy toilet paper, you can't buy dish soap or laundry detergent. So no sundries. You cannot buy hot prepared foods from the supermarket. Huh. If you wanted to buy you know, some Chinese food from, from the deli in the back of the supermarket, you can't do that. You can't buy a hot rotisserie chicken for, from, from the hot case. Hmm. But if that rotisserie chicken is sitting around for six hours and they, and they put it in, into the cold case, you can buy it out of the cold case. So this is to encourage people, I guess, to cook and to stretch their dollars because often, you know, unprepared foods are less expensive. That I believe that that that's that's the thinking. Um, but you know, back to to the the rotisserie chicken. I mean, that that to me flummoxed me because it was going to be a hot meal for for me that night. I, I wanted it for dinner, and I knew that I, I could have at least two or three more meals off of it over, yeah. over the next couple of days. You know, I could have cold chicken leftovers. I could dice it up into tacos. I I could make chicken salad whatever with it. So much of socializing for people revolves around food. How has living on food stamps or having your food budget so radically cut affected your social life? That's a, that, that, that's, that, that's a troublesome point. Um, I've, I've, restaurants have, have, have been my living room for, for, for almost my entire life. Um, when and, that's I was been, in, and that's kind of been taken away from you. Oh, absolutely. I remember going into a, a, a rest, one of my friend's restaurants and walking back into the, into the kitchen to, just to BS with him. And I, w- I was looking around the kitchen, and I was looking at, at the, f- the food on the line, the food on the grill. And it, I wasn't looking at the food in terms of, of being hungry or wanting it. I wanted him to offer me something to eat so that we could share it. So, so that, that we could we could stand there, talk about it, discuss it, BS, or or just go go sit at a table, grab something to drink, and you know spend half the afternoon talking. So the the social aspect of dining out um, was really missing for me. You went from an expense budget of thirteen hundred dollars a month, which sometimes you even exceeded, to two hundred dollars. When you return to having that much money in your food budget, what do you think will change, if anything? I'll probably buy red wine again. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would probably, you know, certainly buy of you know, my, my my favorite expensive cheeses. So it's not going to this. Is, so it sounds like this experience won't have changed your diet very much. You'll just kind of be like, you know what? Now that I can indulge the food, these these foods are still important to me. They weren't frivolous when I was spending, you know, ten dollars on a hunk of cheese. Right. My favorite band is the Kinks. All right. Low budget has been kind of you know the song playing in my head, <laughs> and, and and that that song is, is is all about making do with what you got. Okay, so I'm going to talk right here so you don't get bored while you're waiting for the relevant lyrics to come up. Okay, here they come.
that's the Dinner Party Download for this week. Special thanks to Kai Rizdahl, even though we paid him, Steve Chiatekas, Steve Barsegian, Jeff Peters, Joellen Easton, and Allison Brody. And now I leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner parties. The song is called When I'm With You, and it's from your next band crush, Best Coast. Bon appétit. The Francis Noonan. I'm kind of lonely. <laughs>